Well, we are continuing our series into First Peter, so glad you came back as we uh, we move through this book together. Um, it's been a, an encouraging book for me personally. I trust it's been the same for you. Um, we are a church, I hope you understand, I hope you get this when you come in, we are a church that, that loves Christ. I mean, um, we're, you may get the feeling like we're not one of those that's probably going to be doing cartwheels down the aisle. Um, I hope you understand we're not one of those that just sits there and just goes through the motion either. We, we authentically love Christ, and we want to express our appreciation to Him in the best way we know how. And I hope you feel that way when you worship. When we sing songs, when we pray, you're welcome. If you want to raise your hands, you can do that. You can, I mean, if you want to get on your knees, you can do that. That's okay. That's cool. As long as it's genuine, authentic worship before our Lord. And so as we open his word together, we also want to be challenging each other and having his word challenge us so that when we open his word and we read it, that we understand it's, it's sharper than a double-edged sword. It pierces into our hearts. It, it, it opens us up so that we can see who we are and we can say, God, we invite you in to change us. I mean, don't, don't you want to be more like Christ? Don't you want to grow in your faith and understanding of this awesome God that created everything around us that we see? I hope you do. And I hope that uh, as you read God's Word on your own and as we come together on a Sunday morning, you're challenged to be more like Him. So that's where we're going this morning again, just back into His Word to see what He has to say to us this morning. And I trust that you'll, you'll be challenged as we look forward. Here's where we've gone so far. We are recruited out of our mess. Okay, that's the first portion of our, our series that we've been talking about. Recruited out of our mess. And we've looked at how we're recruited out of our mess to live in hope. Okay, living hope, hope that does not disappoint. It's a hope that we say, man, I, I believe I have this relationship with God Almighty and I'm going to follow him and he's my eternal hope. We're recruited out of our mess to be holy. That idea of being set apart for God. Okay, And then we're recruited out of our mess to be his people, his children. To live like him so that people see us. They not only see uh, you know, this outer shell, but, but they see Christ living through us and our actions and the way we treat one another and the way we worship and honor him. So hopefully we're doing that. We're living in hope, holiness, and being his people. Then we moved into making him known. So recruited out of our mess to make him known with the godlike conduct. A few weeks ago we talked about how we're supposed to do that under all authority. That's the governing authorities that we went through in uh, chapter 2 there. Josh last week took us through that idea that at work, in our, our relationship with our employees or employers, we're, we're supposed to be having a godlike conduct. And then today we're going to go to marriage, how we have a godlike conduct in marriage. Now, if you're single today, you may be like, man, why did I pick today to come, right? <clears throat> I hope that there's principles as we go through this that you can say, hey, there's some things there, whether it's a future relationship that I have or whether it's a relationship with people in my life right now. Maybe there's some principles you can pick up. I don't know. But just trust that God will still use this in your life today. That's all I can really ask as we go forward. So we are talking specifically about marriage. Now, why, why is it important to have a God-like conduct through each of these areas? And we'll actually talk about this next week when we get into chapter 3, verse 15. But here, I'll just give you an idea of where we're going next week. In your hearts, regard, regard Christ the Lord as holy. 
Okay? Ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. In other words, as we're living out our faith and we're, we're going out into the world and in our relationships, our marriages, or at work, or under our governing authorities, if we're living with this Christ-like conduct, this God-like conduct, hopefully other people are seeing it. And we're being a witness. And then they see us living that certain way and they're like, hey, what's different about that person? And they might even approach us and ask us. And then we have that open door. We have that opportunity to give a defense. And the word that's used there is a word that's called apologia. And some of you have heard the word maybe apologetics at some point. Where we're to give a defense. We're to share our faith with people. Be ready. So that's why we need to have this, this God-like conduct in all the areas, all the relationships that we have. Now, a question may come up. How do we make Christ known in our marriage then? And that's what we're going to take a look at as we move forward this morning. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word together, <clears throat> we want you to speak to us. And I pray that your truth would go out, that as we read the words that have been given, as, as I attempt to bridge the context between what it was 2,000 years ago to what it looks like today, that you would, would help me to speak it clear, and that it wouldn't be my thoughts or my words, it would be yours. Father, we want to hear from you today. And I pray that you would challenge all of us, whether we're in a marriage or not, that we would see principles, concepts, ideas that would help us in, in a multitude of relationships. So guide us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so on August 14th, 1999, Rebecca and I, we had our, our wedding ceremony. And we did, you know, what probably many of you did. We, we invited a bunch of people to come, and you know, we had our wedding cake, and she had the dress, and we had our, our groomsmen, the bridesmaid, and they're all lined up, and a pastor in the middle, and we walked down the aisle. Well, I was already there, and she walks down the aisle, and we come together, and we said our vows. Now, here's one thing I will say. If anybody comes to me at this point and says, hey, I'd like to get married and I'd like you to officiate the service, one of the first things I say to them is, I want to know what your vows are. And most of them will be like, well, we haven't even really looked at vows. I'm like, I know, that's why I ask you. Because the whole point of the marriage, the wedding ceremony, is to exchange vows. It's not the cake. It's not the dress. It's not the venue. It's not the party afterwards. It's to exchange vows the vows. So I'll often ask them, do you have your vows yet? No, we haven't had our vows. Okay, before you do anything else, which they're like, oh, we've got to get the, we've got to get the invitations out, you know, like before you do any of that, go through vows, please. And then in our, our, our uh, when we go through counseling, I'm like, hey, now let's, let's look at your vows. Do you understand what you're actually saying to each other when you go through those vows? So here we were, Rebecca and I, we were exchanging vows and, uh, I, I went first, and I sang a song to her, which was really bad for her, because then she had to repeat vows, and she's crying, you know, like that, because it was such a bad song, I think, is probably why she's crying. But we exchanged these vows, and we have that, that commitment that we made to each other on that day, right? Well, that's, that's what that marriage ceremony was about, was to say, hey, I am committing myself to you. And Rebecca committed herself to me. 
Now, what's interesting is I was doing some research this week and reading about why some marriages end in divorce. Uh, you go back 20 years and you'll find out that the number one reason maybe 20 years ago was something to do with adultery, affair, infidelity of some sort. The second reason was usually money and then might be you know, children and arguments, things like that as you go down the line. Fast forward to today. And some of them will still report that that's the number one reason, you know, having an adultery affair. But what you're going to begin to see, at least I saw in a lot of the newer articles that are coming out, is a new finding that the reason people are getting a divorce today is because they're losing their identity. And that kind of blew me away because this was my understanding. When we got married, Rebecca was over here, I'm over here, and we said, okay, we're going to commit our lives to each other, and we're going to become one flesh. Because that was my understanding. That's what Scripture talks about right here. Genesis 2.24, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. So here we are, we're two individuals, and we're becoming one flesh, and we're not concerned about our own identity. We're concerned about our identity together. I'm concerned about her, and she's concerned about me. At least that's the way the marriage relationship is supposed to work. But I think what we've got going on today and what we see more and more is we've got this individual and this individual, and they're just coming together living under a roof. And eventually, as time goes by, this one says, you know what, I'm starting to lose my identity, so I'm going to start pulling away from the person I committed myself to. And this one over here says, well, I'm starting to lose my identity, so I'm going to pull away. And eventually, pretty soon, they feel like two strangers living under the roof, and they're like, hey, let's just give up, let's Move on. And that's happening a lot in marriages and relationships. But God's design is that we would be like this, tied together, connected together, that we'd become one flesh. And so as we stood there and we, we made this commitment to each other that day, I made the commitment that I would love her. And I, the focus of the marriage became her became Rebecca, and she made the commitment to me. So what I want to say to you as we think about us is that really we want to focus on the you, the you in us. Rebecca, I love you, not myself. I'm not looking for you to serve me. I'm looking to serve you and vice versa. It's the you and the us. In fact, God's design is that we would focus on the you, not the me, but the you. And so I hope you see that as we move through the text this morning that it is God's design in marriage, to focus on the you, to be about the you. Here's how he starts off. In the same way, wives. Ladies first, I guess. I kind of wish, it would make a preaching a lot easier if I could start picking on the guys first, right? I always feel like this. Ladies come to church like, man, I always have to pick on the ladies, right? But don't worry, we'll, we'll pick on the guys this morning too. So <clears throat> just hold with us here. He starts off in the same way, which takes us back to the last two other relationships. You've got governing authorities in the same way, and in the same way, you're like your employee-employee relationship, okay? Going back to those two, those two different uh, relationships. In the same way, wives, and there's that popular word, submit. Everybody loves that word. Submit yourselves to your own husbands. Some of your translations might actually say subject yourselves. The Greek word is the idea of placing yourself under, It's voluntarily placing yourself under your husband so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word. First thing to point out, one, we're talking to wives, okay? This is the audience. And sometimes we gloss over what is a wife. 
Remember, a wife is the one, and this is in our context today, a little bit of different context 2,000 years ago, but the wife today is the one who comes and says, yes, I commit myself to this man. Right? They go through that ceremony, they make that vow, they make that commitment, they say, I commit myself to you. That's the wife. He goes on, he says, then they are to submit themselves to their husbands, subject themselves to live under, voluntarily, there's an agreement between the husband and wife, and, and the wife says, yes, I will, I will put myself in that position. I will submit myself. That's God's design, that the wife sits there and says, I'm here for you, not for myself. I'm not looking for you to take care of me. I'm here to help you. I'm here to honor you. I'm here to care for you. She volunteered on that day when they made that commitment, that vow, to do those things. Now, if you're wondering, I wonder what that looks like in the Frank household. Like, okay, Pastor Ryan, you're up there talking. Where's Rebecca? How, does she have her two cents? So I, I asked her. I said, I'll, I'll share you with you. This is how it happens. This is how it works in our household. I said, Rebecca, would you like to come up and explain what this looks like? And she said, no. <laughs> That's how it happens. So... Um, now, she's, uh, she's 40 weeks pregnant. She hates getting up in front of people. I mean, that's like, uh, that's where I guess maybe we're a little opposite somewhat, but uh, she doesn't like that so much. She's 40 weeks pregnant. Okay, I'll give her a little bit of grace there, you know, not push her that direction. But what she did do is she, she wrote you a letter. So I will read that, and you can hear what she has to say from her point of view. I didn't pay her to do this or anything like that. I didn't write it for her, okay? This was at... She did send it at 2.11 this morning because she's getting 40 weeks pregnant and doesn't sleep much. So, a submissive wife recognizes that God has given her husband the important job of leading the family. She does her best to support and encourage him in that role. So, as Ryan's wife, I want to model to my kids and others that I respect Ryan's leadership of our family as he works to provide for and protect us as a family. Ryan and I are a team. We work together talking about and sharing the decisions we need to make to raise our family in a way that is pleasing to God. A good way to picture it is that I am the assistant coach to Ryan's head coach position. I defer to his leadership. And then she puts this sentence in here. I really am glad that he has that role and I don't. And you know what? There are marriages where there are a lot of guys that say, I don't want that role. And we'll get to that. A lot of men will just step back and say, you know what, I don't want that role, and we just give it to our wives. That's not the position that God's called us in, men, but we'll get to that in a little bit. So there you can kind of see a little bit how she views it, and, and to be honest with you, I, you know, as a, as a pastor, I could not be the kind of pastor I am without Rebecca being the wife that she is. Now, God could have designed her a little bit differently. We could have a different agreement. She, she could have maybe a little more different prominent role up here on Sunday morning or something like that. She's often back with the kids and, you know, doing her thing back there. But without a doubt, I could not be the pastor I am without her being the wife that she is. And so she has committed herself to think about me and my position. And, and that's obviously a benefit to me. I think it's a benefit to our family. Now, here the context, if you move forward, you'll notice that it says, even if some disobey the word. So, wives, there's a situation where you may be married to an unbeliever. And here he's talking about it could be either one. Like he says, if, right? So, if some disobey the word, you may be married to a believer. But if you're married to an unbeliever, he goes on to say 
that they can be won over without a word by your conduct, by the way the wife lives when they observe your pure, reverent lives. And then he goes on to say, don't let your beauty consist of outward things like, you know, like elaborate hairstyles and, and jewelry or fine clothes, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality, imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Now you can go through that portion there, and there's a few more verses, and say, man, why does, why does Peter spend so much time talking to the ladies? He's got one verse for the guys and six verses for the ladies. Now you can do one of two things. Either you can say, see, I told you, the Bible's all about picking on women. Or you can see it a little bit differently and say, you know what, here's what was happening 2,000 years ago, which is a lot like today. Our culture says, women, your beauty is all measured on the outside. And Peter takes some time to say, you know what? God measures your beauty from the inside. And he takes time to say that. And that's something we need to be clear on today as the church. Fathers, you need to be clear with your daughters that their beauty is on the inside. Husbands, you need to be clear with your wives that their beauty is on the inside. Because that's what, that's what God has to say. He talks about it here. He even gives an example. Oops. He gives an example. He says, For in the past the holy women who, who put their hope in God also adorned themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have become her children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. God looks at the heart and he says, That's what I'm concerned with. That's what I love. That's what I adore. But yet our, our culture says, no, we, we care more about the outside than we do the inside. And so Peter makes it really clear in this passage that that's, that's the focus. The people who are closest to you, including God and your family, are always going to see the inside. Now, I think what's interesting in this passage is at the end he says, do it without fear or intimidation. And when I first was reading that, I was like, what, what's Peter getting at? And then if started to read some more, and I think things started to click a little bit, and then you can see it today in our culture, and that's simply this. Like, like Rebecca, she's a stay-at-home mom. That's not very popular in our culture. In fact, she'll have some ladies at times, and I haven't heard this, don't worry, I haven't heard this here at this church, but there are people certainly in our, our culture, in our world, that would say that she's not doing her part for society. That she's not as valuable as someone who's gone out and, and it has, a word, you know, has a CEO or, or is doing something out there in the, the career world. But we know, I mean, she's got a lot of kids at home. She's raising the next generation. That has great value. That's very important. Now, what God does after that, I don't know, but, but for now, that's, that's her value. That's important, but the world may say it's not important. So what? We're trying to live our lives to please God, not the world, right? And, and ladies, you need to hear that too. Now, that's not to say that that's the most important thing. So you might be saying, well, I'm not a stay-at-home mom. I, I, you know, I work. Hey, that's okay. That's between you and God and, and your husband and all of that. Listen, wherever God has you, that's great, but I don't think we should be putting down someone else who's in a different situation saying, well, they're not as valuable as I am because they're not, you know, that's wrong. 
So there are women today that will fear that. In fact, if you follow Scripture and what it has to say, that you would be a wife who would honor your husband more than you honor yourself, that's looked down upon in our culture as well, isn't it? It seems to be about me, honoring myself, building myself up, doing my thing. And then, yeah, I'll bring my husband along if I feel like it at times. But that's not what God's Word has to say. We need to focus on the you. So women have a greater influence. Wives have a greater influence when they focus on the you. What they did right there when they came together and they made those vows for one another, they said, I honor, I will respect, I will love, I will cherish that person, that man that I made that commitment to. Women have a greater influence when they focus on the you. All right. So if you're like, man, let's get off the women and go to the men. All right, we're going to get there. Husbands. Okay, you get one verse, but it's, it's packed full. Okay? Husbands, in the same way, again, he used that same phrase to go back to the other relationships we've already talked about. So governing authorities, work environment. Husbands, in the same way in this marriage, live with your wives in an understanding way. With respect and intelligence, you're to live with your wife. Uh, that's what, if you look a little more at the, the Greek language there, I think that's the idea there. You respect and you have, you know, you, you practice some intelligence, men, with your wives. Um, so Rebecca, like I say, she doesn't like to come up here. I could have I probably twisted her arm and got her to come up here and share. But again, you know, she's 40 weeks pregnant. Give her a little bit of grace. She's actually scheduled this afternoon to go to the doctor and have a baby. I'm like, I'll give you a day off. You know, it's all right. But husbands, show a little bit of understanding. Show a little bit of grace. Show a little bit of mercy. Show a little bit of gentleness. All those types of things. This is the person you committed yourself to. You made the commitment to say, yes, I will care for you. I will honor you. I will cherish you. Husbands, nowhere in Scripture, and hear this well, okay? Nowhere in Scripture, in this passage and all the other passages, nowhere does it say, husbands, make sure your wives submit. Nowhere. Okay, that is written to the wife. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, this is written to you. In the same way, live with your wives. Vice versa, wives, women, doesn't say that it's your job to make sure they follow this. Okay, that's God's job. That's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. That's the other men's job to come around side. And men, we should be encouraging each other. If we see a man, you know, treating their wife inappropriately, we ought to say something. And vice versa. That's part of the accountability and what the church does. So, husbands, in the same way, live with your wives as an understanding way. Here's another thing to see in here. Live with them. Now, I'll go out on a limb here and say this. This is kind of my, my personal opinion, so I'll make that clear because maybe, maybe you'll find reason to disagree with this. But I will say this. Husbands, if your idea of having a good time is to get away from your wife, that probably means you have a bad marriage, bad relationship. Because you ought to be figuring out how to live with them, not get away from them. Right? When you made that commitment, you made a commitment to be together. And if your idea of a good time is, hey, I need to get away, eh, there's probably some issues there. You should probably be figuring out how you can do more with the person you're married to. How you can live with that person. How you can go out and hang out with that person. I mean, the person I want to be with is my wife. 
When I go on trips and she's not around, I'm like, I want you to go. I really want you to come. We just went up to a leadership retreat. Here she is. She's pregnant again. She went with me. Uh, there was a time in there where we're like, well, she's like, do you want me to go? Do you want me to stay home? I'm like, of course I want you to go. The question is, are you comfortable enough to go? You know, and she ended up going. And I like that. I want to be with her. And hopefully she wants to be with me if I'm doing a good job, right? But we should want to live with our wives, be with our wives, care for them, and be living with them in an understanding way. Now he goes on, he says another thing which could be a little offensive. He says, as with a weaker partner. Like, wait a minute, I'm not weak, right? Generally speaking, I think he's just talking about physically there is a difference there. And we know historically men have taken advantage of that. Men will use their physical uh, strength to, to force, maybe abusively or in some way, this idea that, hey, I'm going to make you submit. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to care for them, as with the weaker partner, building them up, taking care of them, as we're called to do here in Scripture. He goes on, showing them honor as co-heirs then of the grace of life. From God's point of view, both men and women are saved the exact same. We're both children of God, and we need to see each other that way. We're equally valuable, equally important. There's not one who is over the other. Yes, we have different roles, but one role is not more important than the other role. When we begin to think that, oh, that person's role is more important, then we've actually, we're not living out what God has to say. We both have a role, and it's important in God's eyes, and we're co-heirs, and we've been saved the same way. We both have Christ living in and through us, and we're both called to honor him. And by honoring him, we're called to be an example. And by being an example, hopefully one day someone will come to us and say, hey, why do you live that way? And we're like, hey, I'm glad you asked. Let me share with you Jesus Christ. Because we're living out the truth, and people see it. And if we do that, your prayers then, men, will not be hindered. That's kind of an interesting statement there to throw in at the end. But I think simply put, it just means, guys, when there's tension in the marriage and when we're not doing the right thing and we're living our own life or we're saying, hey, I expect you, my wife, to be honoring or pleasing me or doing something for me, then our prayers are hindered because we're not living life the right way. We're not living life God's way. But if we're focused on the you, if we're focused on the person we're married to, then we're praying for that person and we're thanking God for that person and we're living our lives in a way as a team that we're, we're connected and we're all one flesh and, and we take seriously the responsibility, men, we have to lead our homes and lead our families. That's what he's saying. Our prayer should not be hindered because we're pursuing God's word and we're living out his word in front of Christ or in front of the, the world. So live that way. Uh, men, we will be better leaders if we focus on, on the you. Okay? We'll be better leaders if we focus on the you, the person we're married to. So when you look at these, these passages, when you look at what Peter has to say, it's pretty clear if we're in a marriage and we're in a relationship and all we're doing is looking at ourselves, there's going to be problems. But if we're looking at the other person... Well, then hopefully we're doing what he says here. We're following God's word. We're following his instruction, and we're honoring 
that other person that we're married to. So here's your challenge that you can take home with you today. Plan at least one hour this week to sit down with your spouse and go over this passage. Read through it, walk through it, um, ask questions with one another, and ask this question of yourself, how can you improve as a husband or as a wife to focus more on the you rather than the me? Father, as we, we think about these, these truths and this word, we want to be challenged to focus more on the person we're married to rather than be focusing on ourselves. So we ask that you would guide us and you would lead us and you would show us what it is we need to do to love the person we're committed to, to think back over the vows that we've made. Are we living those out? Or have we changed? And we now want that person we're married to to serve us. If our marriages are me-centered, Father, I pray that you would convict us so they'd be more you-centered. And may that reflect our relationship with you, Father, because we know that we can do the same exact thing in our relationship with you. You have called us for a reason and a purpose. We are recruited out of our mess to make you known. But if we are living this life thinking it's all about me, we're, we're mistaken. It's not. It's about you. So may we humble ourselves, may we approach you and ask, Lord, transform our hearts. If we are self-centered people, we want to change and we want to be Christ-centered people. And in our marriages, if we're just thinking about ourselves, help us to think about the person we have committed our lives to while we're on this earth to honor them and care for them and cherish them like we have committed in our vows. May our marriages be an example into this world so that people will say, why is your marriage so good and so strong? And we can say, because Jesus Christ is in the midst of it and he has transformed our hearts so that we're less focused on ourselves and more focused on Christ and the person we're married to. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.